So hey everyone, today I'm joined by Paris Capleton, who works at the NHS as a cognitive behavioural therapist. And I'm also joined by my friend and colleague, Helena Chan, a PwC associate in our Operate team based in Belfast. So today we're going to be talking about mental health in the communities and cultures that we're in. We know that there's a stigma attached to talking about mental health openly in some of our communities, whether it's seen as being weak or just something that's not typically discussed. So without further delay, we're going to get straight into it. Um, and Helena and Paris, I'm so glad you can make this session. So Helena, if I can ask you the first question, we've spoken about your experiences with mental health and well-being. Could you tell us a bit about that, please? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, over the past few years, I have gone through my own mental health challenges over the past few years and also within the last six months as well. And I would say that my breaking point and my complete burnout moment was in June 2018, where it's just, um, I had just came back straight from annual leave um, in Paris. I would say the first day I was back in the office in that morning, I knew myself, like I wasn't the same person anymore and I wasn't able to continue and just pretend that things were okay. Um, I actually asked my manager at the time for a private meeting. And during that private meeting, I just completely broke down and I shared everything with my manager at the time. I think it was just, to be honest, I think that was the very first time in a very, very long time where I was completely honest with myself. And I just, I stopped hiding and stopped pretending that I was fine. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And would you, would you be comfortable telling us the, 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 I mean, did you seek further support and what was their diagnosis? Um, is that something that you'd be comfortable sharing with us? Yeah, completely, um, absolutely. So after that meeting with my manager at the time, I more or less went straight home and just got in contact with my GP and then accessed my our PwC Ferns private medical services. And then from that day forth, I was out of the office completely for the first three months. And that was when I spoke to my GP, where we had this very frank and candid discussions around um, what I needed was basically to be put in touch with um, services or put on medication really, just to help deal with whatever, like my situation at the time was my deep levels of anxiety and complete lowness and depression at the time which then brings me on to the fact that then through the firm's private medical services I got in touch rather quickly through the private line where I got in touch with um, appointments with a psychologist and also a separate appointments sessions with a psychiatrist where through both of those professional appointments, I uh, was professionally diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression. So coming from a Chinese background, how was your experience with mental health and well-being perceived by your own household, your family, and even in the community? My family and my entire extended family are all from Hong Kong. 
and I was the first one to be born and raised here in Northern Ireland from an early age. I kind of realized like I have sort of like two versions of myself really. Uh, one I keep for my non-family which is either my close friends, my adoptive family or my work colleagues and another side of me is the one I keep for my family and my community. I would say when it comes to mental health I don't know if it's like specifically my family where it's just not something that we ever talked about or we, we wouldn't really know where to even start that type of conversation. Um, it's sort of like always, well, for me, it was always hinted like if something was wrong, um, I would only, I, like it was kind of like push like, can you go to your close friends? Can you go to this and that? It was like kind of like, please do not come to your own family as such. Well, it was like, come to your own family. But I would say an important factor for me would be that I have a fractured relationship with both my parents and generally any topics of discussions with them is always difficult. So the idea of having to talk to them about mental health, which is obviously very close to me and it means a lot to me, it's, it's not really an option. I would say from my community, um, I feel like we would only sort of share success stories with each other, such as an examples would be like our business is doing well, it's super busy, um, that's great. Or the other side would be like my child is studying at this university, my child works at this employer, or my child is a, a professional such as a doctor or a lawyer. It's never really, it's never a full picture of discussions is only the positive and any sort of like the any other side such as when it comes to mental health it's never it's never discussed if you do that if a family does discuss mental health openly within the community it kind of feels like they're openly showing weakness and, it, and then whispers and rumors and things gets passed along the community and then it kind of points out that oh someone in that particular family has a mental health condition and then that family may, in a subtle ways, be able to slowly see that they're being shunned away or they're being left out of community events. So it's almost like a mark of, oh, that family is not doing well for X, Y, and Z reasons. And therefore we don't really want to be associated with them. But I know from, even from me looking at it and even from anyone outside our community looking at it, it's really a harsh way of, looking at things and not being really supportive in a way but that's just me growing up here where I'm like my half half of me is in the community but half of me is outside the community is in a way they kind of see me as a bit westernized or not you mean sort of like slightly outside but half in half out kind of thing so <laughs> so that's how I see it but if it's someone fully immersed in the community they may not see it from my side they always say it's like oh we we just it's one of those things where we just don't talk about it in the community and please don't talk about it kind of thing but i think now 2021 that we should be more open to that yeah i i, I completely get what you're saying and and i can i can just echo everything you've said in in my community in my culture and in, in the, the south asian community it's like you know we don't i think that progress has been made like we are more open to talking about mental health and well-being but i think it's more 
our generation as opposed to the older generation that find it quite difficult to do that. Paris, as a cognitive behavioral therapist in the NHS, what are some of the differences that you've seen with mental health and well-being with people belonging to different communities? Um, yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that, Hannah. I resonated with it a lot of what you said. Um, so there tends to be quite a big significant shift in the communities that I see coming through the NHS. So we often see um, primarily white women who are the kind of main people that will seek sort of psychological therapies. Then it's probably black women white males and then black males. Um, and I find that really interesting because there's something there about not just culturally, but also gender wise, who should be seeking help. Um, you know, talking from my background and I guess, you know, being a black female, um, we often, we're often considered in society to be very strong, um, you know, females particularly, but just black people in general. And when you're experiencing mental health difficulties, it can be very hard to admit that you're struggling and seek support. And if we're sort of considered to be strong, the almost opposite is weakness, which again, I don't agree with, but that's the kind of uh, thought process that people experience. So then they're less likely to seek support. And there's so much evidence out there that suggests that when black people uh, access mental health services, it's usually at crisis point. And there's a reason for that. You know, some of it's to do with the difference of, um, like I mentioned, the different kind of connotations that's attached, weakness, not being strong enough. Some people consider it a punishment and um, almost like looking, looking down upon your family. You know, you're experiencing mental health difficulties because of some type of trauma. That means that something's happened in your family, your family's bad. So there's a lot of stigma attached. Um, but one of the things I kind of wanted to pinpoint um, was the importance of religion. So again, as black people, we've experienced a lot of adversity um, in life and we've used spirituality as a way of getting through those things. So it's been really positive. It's almost been kind of a, a barrier against difficulties, but then sometimes it can be held on too strongly in a sense that that is just the way to deal with problems so you know if you're experiencing mental health difficulties pray about it you know it's a problem spiritually it's a curse you know just pray about it read this scripture but the reality is, is as much as your spirituality can be seen as a protective factor against mental health difficulties mental health difficulties you know isn't just um you know, considered a spiritual problem. It's a biological problem. There's actual changes chemically in the body. So as much as you pray and you use your faith, you also need support um, professionally as well. What's really interesting is the fact that you you touched on spirituality as well as like seeking support. And I think, you know, you can be spiritual, you can pray to to the, the, to the higher power that you believe in. That's all good. But yeah, actually accessing that support or knowing where to go to access that support is crucial. But I also wanted to talk about age and also um, any other like signs or traits that you've seen in your profession, um, perhaps within the black community, uh, wanting support. So do you see like there's a like a, um, a generation difference between, um, you know, uh, a certain generation that's accessing that support or wants that support, as opposed to another generation that doesn't feel as comfortable? And how, how do we deal with that? How do we get more people just in general to access that support? 
you know, age is definitely a big factor when it comes to seeking support. Um, so I'm actually the lead of young people in our service and we're quite a good service that we see people as young as 16 for support. Um, what I've noticed is that the typical age that people tend to kind of seek support is sort of between, I would say 23 to about 45. So there's something about the younger generation sort of in their teens that are quite hard to access. They tend to be referred by either their GPs or sometimes even their schools, but they often drop out of treatment. And I wonder if that's to do with maybe the way that the treatments are being um, presented. You know, it's not necessarily age appropriate or as fun or as engaging. And I guess that's why, you know, as the young person's lead, I'm always kind of um, going to conferences to ensure that we do engage these groups of people because we know that mental health difficulties often start in your in your early late teens. So it's important to kind of catch it as early as possible. And then on the flip side of that, you've obviously got the, I would say, 50s plus that, again, don't tend to seek support at all. Um, I think in our service, we'd consider an older adult, I think 60, 60, 65 plus. And there's very few of those individuals who come for support. And I just genuinely believe it is a generational thing where back in their time, you didn't talk about mental health difficulties. Everything was hidden or kept in the family. And even if you had someone who struggled, it was almost like they were shunned for it or, you know, that's the strange person. So even if you were struggling, you didn't want to be associated with that. And, you know, it's, it's a really sad picture to kind of um, to kind of notice because you often find as adults get older, they're also quite um, a protective group where you're retiring and you're losing your identity and you're alone a lot more. And actually speaking to a therapist would be really important. But again, because of the way things were perhaps seen in their generation, it either doesn't feel like something that's accessible for them or like something that will help them. Um, so yeah, that's been a kind of trend I've noticed. In regards to, again, the black community, I often find that it's young black males that are the hard to reach group. Um, young black females are quite keen on seeking uh, mental health support. I'm on Instagram quite a lot. So you see a lot of sort of mental health pages providing self-help. And a lot of the pages are actually run by young black females, which is you know great to see and, and a change but you often don't see stuff for young black males so there's a kind of gap there in how do we engage them how do we acknowledge that acknowledge that everyone has feelings everyone has mental health and if you're struggling that's part of being human and actually there's support out there um and then again interestingly enough it's the older black female who can be a bit resistant to treatment in a sense that you know there's this label of the strong black female you know and you're supposed to keep it together for yourself and your children and your family. And the idea that if you're seeking mental health support, that means that there's something wrong or you're not coping. And again, it goes back generations to where, you know, people's children were taken away from them. So they just feel like, you know what, I'm not actually gonna seek out support in case things escalate. When in reality, you know, many years on, things have really changed. And how I see mental health, particularly in the service I work for, the IAP services is, it's that initial access point to getting support. Um, and it's open for anyone actually. And it actually came about from employment difficulties. There was like a gap between people who were severely unwell and seeking um, support and being sort of um, put into wards and things like that. And there was nothing for anyone else in between. 
And I think society was noticing that was a high absenteeism rate where people weren't going to work, but it wasn't quite sure as to why. And we realised that everyone experiences mental health difficulties and things like depression and stress and anxiety are very common actually more common than disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, in which I don't think society realised before. Um, so yeah, there's just this kind of push for mental health therapies and support to be accessible to everyone and then to really break that stigma down. Um, so yeah, that's just some of my thoughts. Really useful. No, thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. And, and, and again, it just echoes what I know within my community in terms of like the older generation. Um, they don't, really talk about it they don't you know obviously this is quite a generalized statement but they don't they're more reluctant to seek support whereas people in our generation are more willing to seek support and i guess that's you know if i think about it from a personal perspective you know in our firm at pwc we are prompted to seek out for support if we're struggling if we are going through anything particularly during the pandemic um so and and we've got those services available to us so what i would ask is helena what for someone from from a cultural perspective what would you advise someone to do when they're not used to talking about mental health or they they, they feel embarrassed talking about mental health um what would you advise them to do in the first instance i would say as allow yourself to admit well, for me, it was to admit to myself, like, I wasn't, I'm not coping, I am struggling. I, for me to not feel like this anymore, it would be to reach out to someone that you know and trust and know the bones of, that, that they will be there with, with for you. Like, literally, either to hold your hand or be literally really supportive in terms of like being only a call or a message away to actually feel... I have good support networks. I have good people around me where I don't always just have to share all the goods, all the positives. I'm also sharing the mediums, the lows and the proper lows as such, just to give like a full picture. This is your friend who has a full 360 of A to Z of emotions kind of thing. So it's in a way to let them see you like the proper full you rather than just the happy go lucky you in a way. So yeah. No, that that's that's really that's really important. And I think like what you said was like even just reaching out to someone it could be someone within your trusted network, or if you don't feel like talking to someone in your trusted network, reaching out to a professional, perhaps um, just someone you're comfortable with to to just start that dialogue. Um, Paris, um, same question to you. What what advice would you give to to others to to feel empowered to speak up about their own mental well being? And also, um, you know, if you're a friend of someone who's struggling, what can you do to even just make sure you recognize the signs and what you can do yourself to to help them on on their journey of support? Um, yeah. So the first thing that I would say is just to remember that you're human. And actually part of being human is to feel all the different range of emotions and many different intensities as you go through life. Um, yes, I will identify myself as a black female, but I'm also a human being. And I think it's important for everyone to acknowledge, you know, who they are, who they identify as, but also that they're a human and it's human to feel and experience life and, you know, 
as a result of particular things we've experienced, we may struggle with our mental health. But just because we're struggling with our mental health doesn't mean that that's the end and, you know, we can't seek support and um, and solace. I would also say the second thing is, you know, if you are someone who is um, spiritual or religious and struggles to see, you know, almost struggles to see the, the positives in seeking professional support, I would say use your prayer, you know, use your spirituality. It's a blessing and it's a beautiful tool, but also be proactive as well. The two can go hand by hand in hand. And actually, a lot of the time, you know, therapists will actually encourage and bring your religious beliefs and who you are into the therapy room. So you can still, you know, feel close to God and use your practices, but also get that professional help too. So you don't have to have one or the other, you can have both. And that's the beauty of it. Um, in regards to sort of uh, people around you who may be struggling um, and offering them support, um, usually when people are struggling with their mental health, the first thing they want to do is to withdraw because they don't want people to see them at their lowest point. They may not know how to explain how they're feeling. And people ask questions, you know, people know your personality and they can almost gauge sometimes if you're a little bit off, even if you are used to wearing a mask. So sometimes the easiest thing is just to not say much or avoid. So with that being said, you want to be of support to them, but you don't want to overpass their boundaries as well, because that will just allow them to kind of push away. So what I always say is checking in with them and saying, you know, I'm here if you need, um, and almost acknowledging to them, acknowledging to them that, you know, no matter what they're experiencing, that you're there to support them. And that's you kind of offering that olive branch to say, you know, I'm here to help. Um, and yeah, just knowing that support is out there. Um, you know, your ideas of therapy, someone lying on the couch, it's not the same. It's very different, very up to date. Um, if we're talking about a cultural standpoint, there's a lot of training, um, particularly from the events that happened last year where therapists are being trained to provide culturally sensitive therapies. So again, don't be discouraged and feeling that they won't understand you. You know, they may not understand completely, you know, but that's the beauty in that you can teach them and they can learn to um, adapt and adjust their, te their therapies to what works best for you. So I would honestly say just give it a go. Um, I often hear that therapy um, and seeking support for your mental health is probably one of the best investments that a human being can make. Um, and yeah, I just honestly pride and I pride and see so much courage in people who seek out support for their mental health. And it's not a weakness, actually, it's a strength to sit there in your vulnerabilities and acknowledge that you're not okay and you need support. A hundred percent. And when you're getting that support, you're, you're accessing something that will help you and benefit you. And, um, and it's, it's on the path of, you know, feeling better about yourself and, and what you're going through. So, um, thank you so much for, for for sharing all of that. So Helena, um, we've spoken about um, you know the pandemic, um, things on social media, stop Asian hate. Um, we've spoken about your personal experiences with um, racism and how that's impacted your mental well-being. Can you give us uh, a bit of information about what you've experienced and how you've dealt with that? For me, um, from the Chinese community and general as further as well from the, as part of the larger, which is the South Asian, Southeast Asian community is, I'll be quite frank and honest in terms of since the pandemic 
started, where it was like first um, initially reported from Wuhan around late December 2019, early January 2020. As soon as that the first news cycle, the first headlines, I kind of felt immediately, even living here in Northern Ireland, let alone anywhere in, in the world, was the first and blatant extra um, would be this, the stares, the glances, the whisper comments, the finger pointing, and the very not subtle ways of verbal abuse, even like I'm even talking like on my commute to the office, on the train, in broad daylight, or coming home from the train in reasonably daylight would be the impact and the sense of fear that drove in me at having to look over my shoulder an extra more. I don't feel comfortable or safe to go out anywhere on my own. I mean, talking like to our local trips down to the supermarkets, like after six, like before I was either just to get things ready for the week or to get lunches kind of thing for myself is either I have to now park either very close to the store or even just avoid it completely. It's just that sense of fear, extra fear. And in fact, I had to look over my shoulder extra a bit more. And this is just coming from a female from an ethic from the Chinese background is I'm like five foot two, if barely. So I don't have, I can't physically stop an attack if it does happen on me. I don't, I can't run away or be able to verbally, physically protect myself. So in a way, I have to be extra more careful anyway for the past year, year and a half. And that, that teamed up with the fact obviously with the pandemic and my mental health conditions it's just there's nothing we can currently do it's just unfortunate but we will obviously try to rise above it and do it's not it's not like their their negative thoughts doesn't really it's not like for Ian that me specifically it's just their own negative small-mindedness we will still try to do better and look for the positives but Currently, it's just a rough time for all communities at the minute. So, no, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And I think, like, you know, you've you've spoken about the impact that it's had on you. Um, you know, the fact that you you are um, you know, you go through your mental health challenges or mental well-being challenges rather, and this is just this is just um something that's happening externally, but obviously impacts you and other members of the community. But I guess you know, having those people around you to, to support you and to, you know, to, to, to reach out if you need support is, is fundamental. So, but thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so Paris, coming to you, um, we've spoken about this offline. Um, George Floyd's murder impacted so many people and namely the, the black community. And We've spoken about how that impacted you and your mental well-being. Could you tell us a bit about that? Um, no, certainly. Um, when it happened, initially I'd kind of avoided, my mechanism is to avoid things, but when I eventually watched the clip, um, I was devastated and to the point where I didn't really know how to feel. I felt so numb because I've seen so many things like this happen 
but this one just kind of hit differently and I think it was because of the outcry from everyone and not just the black community other communities coming forward and sort of calling this out is just not right um I actually found myself feeling extremely drained uh that whole week and it just felt weird because there wasn't really anything I was doing that would make me tired and um I was quite teary and I was quite sad and low and I'm quite a curious person so I actually went online and said why do I feel like this and I realized that it's something called racial battle fatigue which is when a black person um or someone from an oppressed community has to experience you know seeing or witnessing racism and it was almost felt in my body as if it was like my own trauma response you know I was weak I felt tired I was angry but then I was sad and there was just a mixture of emotions um and actually what I did was I spoke to my employers and said I just need a bit of time um to just process what happened because if I'm not there for myself how can I be there for my clients um and that really helped um but I actually I actually also found regarding the communities um, or my community, everyone kind of banded together. And around that time, I felt like there was a closeness and it was almost as, as sad as it was that we were um, bonding over pain. It really brought everyone closer together. And it was that kind of community support um, that really kind of carried us through those few months and even till today, because there's things still going on. Um, but yeah, it was a really tough time for me mentally. Um, and you know all of my colleagues at work as well we actually um created like a, a black network or a, a bane network after what happened just to give us a space to talk about these things openly and freely um but yeah it was a it was a really tough time yeah and again thank you but i think like you emphasize the the support network that you and your colleagues created and um you know the 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 fact that it also brought people together obviously it was horrible it was tragic and it was it was painful for for few and many others but it's just you know to kind of have people that kind of shared that same feeling um could help um people through it and and it's and let's not be you know ignorant like it's still going on there's still stuff happening that we need to address and call out and 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 to support people on um but thank you for answering that question um that brings us to a close of this podcast episode so thank you so much for joining us on uh us talking about mental health in our communities and cultures Please, please share this episode um, with your friends, your families, your networks, and hopefully some of what we've discussed can help you and others um, that you might think are struggling or might just want to listen to to the episode. Um, And also, please like, rate, subscribe um, this podcast episode. So thank you so much, Helena. Thank you so much, Paris. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Um, and stay tuned for episode two.